Welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. If you're not familiar with the Inside Scoop, it's a podcast dedicated to helping parents learn about the soccer pathways that would be available to their child if they live in another city around the world. And this show is brought to you in part by Anytime Soccer Training. Anytime Soccer Training is an online training program that literally has well over 5,000 training videos covering every major skill area. And the reason it has so many videos is because it follows an exhaustive progression where we introduce one move per video and then combine them into a longer video using all of their different skills the kid has practiced. And every video is 100% follow along. It's the only supplemental training program I use with my sons. And you can join for free. So go to anytime-soccer.com, join for free. You get some free training sessions forever. It's a wonderful program. Check it out. Now let's get on to the show. So I keep saying this, and I'm going to say it again, that I promise you guys the podcast on In Search of Unicorns. I got another podcast lined up on content marketers that our parent trainers should avoid. I want to do a podcast on decision making. I need to do a follow-up podcast on the 97%. In other words, what the 3% are doing and not doing. I got so many podcasts. I want to do one on progressions and how I feel about progressions. And so I wanted to throw it out, out there to say, hey, we got a lot of stuff lined up in the future, but also to hold myself accountable and just stay on the grind and try to uh, help parents, help themselves and help their children. So a lot of podcasts coming down in the future. Now, with those podcasts I just named, many of them will be a little bit longer and they do take a lot of thought and, and a little bit of research as well, because I, because when you do podcasts, you're a little vulnerable because you are putting something out there for public discourse. You don't get immediate feedback. And so you don't really want to miss something and you don't want to mislead people. You want to try to be as authentic as you can but also as research as I possibly can as an individual. So I got to do a lot of work there. But occasionally my friends, I think they do this just to tease me. They will share something with me that they know I either agree with or strongly disagree with, or we find funny, whatever. And it then prompts me to do a podcast. And that's sort of what I'm going to do tonight. Today, I'm going to um, do a, almost what I'm calling like an emergency podcast on a particular subject that's in the vein of the content marketer podcast and is sort of in the area of the decision-making podcast. And so it, it is kind of good that I'll do some of these podcasts now as tidbits, precursors to those longer ones. So, so let's jump right into this. one. All right. So to tee this podcast up, I need to um, read a post that my friend shared with me because he wanted my thoughts on it. And I was going to type my thoughts. And I thought, you know what? Don't let a good post go to waste. Why don't you turn it into a podcast? And that's what I'm going to do today. 
So remember, the, this is for entertainment purposes only. I'm not interested in being too critical on random people, but I do think there is something there to helping our parents from a consumer perspective, uh, consumer protection um, perspective, sort of weed through some of this stuff, or at least some of the things that I was reading and I had to struggle with when I first started my um, soccer parenting journey. So here we go, here's the post. And I'm going to read it in its entirety because I do want to get people's feedback on it. And um, and if you want to come on to the show to discuss, that would be great as well. All right. So here we go. Had a lad come into training with us and stood out immediately with his ability on the ball. Brilliant attitude, clearly loved his football and played with a smile on his face. Demonstrated some great footwork skills, shifted the ball so swiftly too. Then as the time went by, I realized how ineffective he was with everything he was doing on the pitch. He would get on the ball, do fancy stuff, but ball wasn't going anywhere or impacting the game in any way. Until the point that lad, until the until the point that lad started doing stepovers with the opposing player literally 10 yards apart, was like, why is he doing that? Then I go, I bet this lad gets absolutely battered with one-on-one -on -one training there was no application of his technical skills in a game in a real game context then i sat down with his dad to find out more about him turns out he gets battered day in and day out with one-on-one -on -one individual technical work and here comes the importance of the of application and ensuring the lads don't get battered with this sort of one-on-one -on -one work. It's not a circus show. It's a game of decisions. Here comes the importance of, of them understanding why they do what they do and how will it impact the game, in what ways. Application is the mother of skill. It's called repetitions without repetitions. If you don't know what that means, Google it. I'd rather have a player who can break the whole team down with a single pass or individual brilliance than have a player who can do all this fancy stuff with no application in a real game context. So that's the post, and we're going to dig into that. And for this type of thing, what I normally do is I'll give some initial thoughts, and I actually listen to my own podcast, and then um, I reflect on what I said, and I normally do so, try to do some kind of follow-up. So I may not get everything in this particular show, but I'll do a follow-up if I find out I missed something. All right, so here we go. So the first point I want to make is skill acquisition, no matter how it's acquired, barring some extreme situation beyond the scope of this podcast will never make you less intelligent. So I said a lot there. So let me repeat that. Skill acquisition, no matter how you acquire that skill, will never take something out of your head <laughs> that was in there um, and make you less intelligent. So what do I mean by no matter how it's acquired? Well, let's use my own sons, for example. Two days a week, 
after school, um, they do a 10-minute rebounder session using the Anytime Soccer Training app. The, the videos are follow along. They're five minutes each, and it's just a long progression of rebounded drills. In this um, example, they're practicing various skills in isolation. There is no opposition, there's no game, and there's no decisions, there's no nothing. It's just them, the rebounder or a wall, and the ball. And as a result of doing that 20 minutes a week, I can see um, that they're improving their passing with both legs and both feet. They have a better first touch with all parts of their feet because the program asks you to use your soles, use the outside of your foot, inside of your foot in all types of ways, right? They are improving their directional control and accuracy when they pass because when you pass the ball off a wall, off a rebound or around a cold cone or whatever, it's less forgiving. So when you do a directional control and you pass the ball to a person, they can correct for your um, if you hit it too hard or you hit it the wrong way or something, they can, the person receiving the ball can correct. But when you're doing it off a rebounder, if you don't hit it perfectly right, it's not going to bounce back in the way you need it to bounce back to do the directional control pass again. So they're improving there. They're improving in aerial control. When you're kicking the ball off the wall with your feet, blah, 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 your aerial control. And then dribbling because the program incorporates dribbling and all that kind of stuff they're passing all that stuff and that 20 minutes a week it really adds up and they are improving right so they're practicing this in isolation and they're getting better at that particular skill so then again i kind of said this but i want to kind of be very thorough here what do i mean by less intelligent well for the purposes of this show, and I'm gonna use the term we used to use in educational um, circles, let's parking lot what we mean by intelligent soccer player. We'll touch on that in the decision-making podcast. And I would actually like to invite, I got a friend in mind, I would actually like to invite some people on to talk about what they believe makes a player intelligent and how they would define an intelligent soccer player. But needless to say, that definition can be subjective. And I don't wanna get into the weeds on what a uh, intelligent soccer player is let's just assume that the player is intelligent so in the previous show i explained that there were some cues i looked at from a team perspective so if i wanted to screen teams i only had five minutes ten minutes to watch each team and i had to go through 50 teams there's some things i would look at not necessarily to determine if the players were intelligent but when you start getting 2013 and up, there are some things I would look at to see if there's some teaching and learning happening on the training pitch during the week that will speak to eventually those players becoming intelligent. And, and I said, those three things are, you know, when the kids receive the ball, ideally before they receive the ball, but definitely when they receive the ball, do they look up and evaluate their options? Or do they get the ball and dribble as quickly as they can or try to do whatever action they're trying to do without 
giving it any thought. They have their head down. They're just going as fast as they can. If they give out a guy, great. If they don't, so what? So that's the first thing I look at. And then to the in that vein, is it just the coach's son doing looking up or is it everyone? Because that's actually very difficult to get everybody on the same page. And people are coming, kids are coming at different, um, you know, uh, experience levels. Um, so it's really difficult to get everyone on the same page. So I know, and, oh, I know what I was going to say. And also, it's not very intuitive for kids. So I know if everyone is receiving the ball, checking up, evaluating their options, there's likely some teaching and learning going on. The next thing I look at is, is the team able to connect at least five passes consistently? Now, yes, you have to weight that based on the level of competition they happen to be playing, right? If they're playing really aggressive kids who are older or a better team or whatever, that number may fall. But then when they're playing a slightly weaker team um, or a team on their level, they should be able to move the ball and connect at least five passes. This is not to be mistaken with possession style soccer. Being able to pass the ball to your friend and move and get the ball back is just an essential part of the game of soccer the keeper gets one pass you're already at one and then that wing player defensive wing player is uh under pressure they know they can always pass it back to the keeper so that's two and then that keeper knows they can always pass it back to the other side of the field that they um to the opposite side of the field so you kind of already starting with three so we're really looking at are they able to connect two passes right so that is a bare minimum. And then the final thing we're looking at is in defense, is, does the, is the team disciplined? Do they, take, uh, do they take shape quickly? Do they work hard in transition? All of that stuff is counterintuitive. All of that stuff requires a lot of effort. And it's not normally something that most kids are going to do, especially from the organizational perspective, unless there's some teaching and learning happening during the soccer pitch. Why am I saying all of that. So my older son and my younger son for that matter, but we, we'll say my older son for now, attends trainings three to four days a week where they work on that stuff. And I hope he is learning that stuff. I think the team is learning this stuff by the way they play. And I'm going to pause right there to say, hey, parents, I've been throwing this out there a lot. If you have a different opinion, if you have a way of screening your soccer, your kids' soccer play teams, or you have a way of determining sort of if things are how things are happening in the pitch i would love email me neil n-e-i-l at anytime-soccer.com i would love to get your opinion and maybe even invite you on the show and your position can be hey take a chill pill don't worry about that just let them have fun and do their thing that's fine too whatever opinions you have i would love to hear them but moving on my son is in this type of environment 10 months out of the year three to four days a week all right He's practicing this stuff and he's playing this, playing this type of way in the games. So going back to the rebounder example, it would take almost an act of God for me to undo what he is learning during, I mean, if you saw the trainings, then you would really, really appreciate this. You to undo what these guys are teaching these kids day in and day out by doing some individual, isolated skill work. It, it, 
Knowledge does not work that way. The great thing about knowledge, and I don't want to get biblical on you, but once you know it, it you, the genie is out of the bottle. It's hard to go. It's hard to know something and then unknow it, right? So that's the thing about knowledge. So if I, action doesn't undo knowledge, right? It just doesn't work that way at all. So that's the first point. I probably went on there, but I just want to be clear about that. The next point I'm going to make, and I'm going to go more into this one on the on the uh, progressions podcast, but working on something in isolation, so working on a skill in isolation by yourself, working on a skill isolation or working on a skill like uh, in isolation, maybe within a small group, but each person is working in isolation, is not intrinsically better or worse than the other formats available for learning something, right? Again, I'm going to do a podcast on progressions and our content marketers, but I can't tell you how often I see on my feed someone trying to explain that there's some better or worse or better way of teaching something where, you know, I tend to lean on the parent on the wisdom that your grandparents probably shared with you. My parents definitely shared with me and has been sort of assumed wisdom since the beginning of civilization, I'm assuming, which is there's a time and a place for everything, right? So when my sons come home from school, they've had a long day in school, I wanna squeeze in 10 minutes. That ain't the time to do too much situational stuff, right? Just get the touches in and then have your snack and whatever before we do our homework or go to practice or whatever. Another issue that I see is many people are offering solutions to problems I almost never see. So granted, I'm the founder of a soccer training app and maybe my standards are a little too high. I, I mean, I don't know. But what I here's what I'm not seeing in my areas. I do see it a little bit on social media, but I am not seeing in any of the areas that my sons play in. I'm not seeing all of these fancy technical kids, kids who are sublime on the ball, who have all the 1v1 moves in their locker, who don't know how to play the game. That's not what I am seeing. What, what I'm seeing at best is kids who neither have the skill nor the soccer IQ to play the game at a level that's being asked of them. That is actually why I stepped in and started helping my sons in the first place, because I saw what was being asked of them, and I saw that in order for them to be successful in that environment, they need needed some help. So that's one problem I'm seeing. It ain't the, the problem is not all these technical kids who don't know how to play the game. The problem I'm seeing is they're not technical and they don't know how to play the game. And the few that do know how to play the game are not technical enough to execute on what their mind is telling them to do. That's the problem I'm seeing. Another problem I'm seeing is people aren't getting started with doing a little bit at home. In other words, I spend a lot of my time begging and pleading the parents to say, forget about any time soccer training. 
just go on YouTube, do something or just play with your kids. But 10 minutes a day, if you're going to be in these competitive environments, especially can really, really make a difference and really help your child um, increase their skill, increase their confidence, enjoy the game more. I'm getting emails flooding in now from coaches who are telling me, yeah, um, yeah, Neil, my child, not my child, my team, they're competing against each other. Did one girl is doing 30 videos and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I know, the, you know, it took me six months for you to, for me to convince you to get out of their way. They will do a little bit at home if you give them the right direction and the right tools. So the bigger problem I'm seeing is kids doing nothing. I'm not seeing kids being battered down with one-on-one -on -one training. I am seeing people go ban um, bananas on hiring private trainers. And so the kid has, you know, four or five days, three, three or four days of training, and then you adding another hour or two hours with private sessions, which again, no judgment, but I see a little bit of fatigue there. But I'm not, again, I'm not going out to these games and seeing half the team is technical. So please email me, neil, N-E-I-L, at anytime-soccer.com. Send me game footage or, or give me a call or send me an email and I'll send you my number. Let's talk about this stuff because I don't want to operate in a vacuum and I don't want to be completely ignorant. Doing a podcast is pretty vulnerable. So um, maybe there, maybe it's just my area. Maybe my area is the area that where the kids are not technical and don't know how to play the game, but everywhere else we're getting it right. Uh, uh, but if that's the case, then I would love to see the video and I would love to hear your stories because that would help inform my uh, opinion. So now I'm going to move on really quickly to say, and let's decompose the scenario that was described. So, you know, you can kind of put, put this into sort of boxes or uh, quadrants, right? So in this particular case, the coach has identified that a player does not know how to play the game, or at least doesn't know how to apply what they have learned to a real game situation, okay? This is what the coach is saying. This is the situation. Well, if we decompose that, there are only a few scenarios, right? Scenario one, Child has acquired skills, but doesn't know how to apply them. We'll call that scenario one. Scenario two would be child has not acquired any of the necessary skills and does not know how to apply them. And then scenario three is the child has not acquired any of the necessary skills, but understands how to play the game, right? Well, that gets to the crux of how I define my role as, as a recreational coach and, and runner of a clinic. That gets to the crux of what I think player development is. And I did this in a, I offered my own um, definition of player development, or at least what I would use as my definition of player development if I ran a club. And I'm gonna paraphrase it here, and it's not an official definition at all. And I got my coaching license on Facebook, so take it for <laughs> take it as a great assault. And I'm getting my notes out here, so just give me a second. I I I want to go back for full circle on this and say, listen, 
I offer this as my definition. Player development is a process. So when I say process, it's a chain of events that can be replicated, right? That you decided this works and we're going to replicate this across, across the board. Doesn't mean it's not flexible, but it's, it's a process. I mean, I don't have to, every time you tell me, every time you ask me about player development, I don't have to be like, it depends. No, it don't depend. It's a process. We've tweaked it and, and this is kind of what we do. So player development is a process that takes what the child is bringing to the table and then pumps in the necessary skills and knowledge with the result of accelerated improvement in on-field performance as an individual, as an individual within the team context, and as a team or unit. So I said a lot there, but you basically, you inherit something, you inherit what the child's bringing to the table, you teach them something, you give them some skills, um, and the result of that is accelerated improvement because a child's gonna improve just, just by growing. So you accelerating the improvement. Um, of on-field performance. So we're narrowing the scope. I'm not talking about they're a better person and all that kind of stuff because they're non-soccer organizations that can do that. On-field performance, what I'm seeing between the white lines is getting better at an accelerated clip as an individual. So that individual is having more of an impact and that individual can go to any other environment and do pretty well. Or at least you will know that individual has been developed or you'll be able to tell as a team, I'm sorry, as an individual within the team. So they're not playing in a vacuum. They understand that they can play with each other. And then as a team, as a unit, that's where you get into all the tactical stuff and how, how we're gonna organize ourselves. So as, as five-year-old, that might just be, they know which side to run on. They know which side their goal is. And then as a 15-year-old, you know, how, what is your, how are you gonna play? How are you gonna organize? What formation? What 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 are the other team's strengths or weaknesses? How we whatever. I'm not a coach like that. So I'll let you guys fill in the gaps. So what I'm saying is if I get a kid who has are you know, as stated, all of these fancy moves, then that's just a part of my development process to say, okay, I'm gonna take this child who has the te technical ability, according to them, and I'm gonna teach them how to apply that technical ability. Or if I get a child who doesn't have the technical ability, but understands how to play the game, then I might put more of an emphasis on getting that child um, technically competent. And, and all this obviously is hypothetical and depends on the age and that kind of thing. Now, what I tend to see is children who are not technical and don't understand the game, right? And, and I just have chosen to focus on the technical piece in part because of content like this. And I don't know if content and also what I see in real life, which is a devaluation of individual skill, right? I, you know, I, I just don't think people value. And I see with my older son, my older son just had games this weekend. And, and uh, yes, this is proud Papa talking, but he plays for, a, he plays in a Hispanic, league and these guys are really hardcore he had two games this weekend and he scored three goals the first game and two goals the second game and had 
you know, three or four assists over the weekend. And I'm saying all that to say, uh, you know, isolated training works, isolated training with a combination of other teaching and learning um, modalities, in this case, his club stuff works. And he's an intelligent uh, football player. And he's going to he's going to be successful and enjoy the game even more. And so I leave that personal testimony to say this stuff works. And, you know, if we want to develop develop players, we have to meet them where they're at and not pit one thing against the other, but instead try to give them a holistic training environment where where they're learning uh, learning and developing in a way that's developmentally appropriate for them. And I'm going to end with this. And this is my final comment on this. Well, I've been fortunate or unfortunate enough to work in different, many different industries. And I can tell you, um, there's a tendency when, when someone not familiar with your industry asks you what you do. And I've been fortunate or unfortunate enough to work in the capacity of consulting. And a lot of times you have to ask people, what is it that you do? <laughs> and people have a tendency, if they'll, they have a tendency to make whatever they do sound a lot harder than it actually is. And, uh, you know, and this is human nature. You act, my job can be pressing this button once an hour and making sure that the machine doesn't overheat or whatever. But if someone asks me what I do, I have to publicly tell somebody what I do. You're going to think I'm um, a NASA astronaut. Well, so that's one thing. And then the other thing is people don't tend to like things that can, they don't like any portion of what they do to be quantified in a way that you can hold them accountable, right? And I don't think this is anything they, I don't think anybody's thinking about it like this and I don't think they mean any ill will by it, but they don't want any portion of what they do to be, uh, they don't want you to be able to hold them accountable for anything that they do. And so what you're gonna hear, and again, I'm a consumer advocate speaking to our parent trainers out there saying, you're rarely gonna have people say, well, some of the things that we do, you can't results, you can't quantify, but there are some things you can quantify. And so here's a rubric we use. And at the end of the season, you know, this is what we would expect. Here are the inputs, here are the outputs, and this is what we would expect. Can't read too much into each individual thing because there can be some variability there, but you should see some, some directional trends. And this is kind of how we know if what our process that we talked about, this is sort of how we know it's working, especially if you're doing your part, blah, blah, blah. And so I say that to say, when you use words like decision-making and situational and, and the application and all this kind of stuff, this is so far beyond what the coach can control and so difficult to quantify, even though you can do it somewhat, but you know it's not practical in a youth soccer context, that it, it just sounds great, but as a consumer advocate, you don't even know what they're talking about. Like, you don't know how to measure it. How do I, everybody, that sounds great, but I don't even know what, how do we start there? But for me, you know, with the parents that I deal with, you know, I say, hey, listen, 
I can't control outputs, but I can control inputs. And I'm a little hardcore. I'm not expecting anyone to go to this level, but I can tell you exactly how much time your train, your child is going to be on the ball each session. I'm going to tell you exactly what we're going to do uh, because we use technology. And I can tell you that I use the same methodology with my children and other kids I train. And here's the before and after results. And this is what I would expect. But my um, focus is very very narrow my focus is very narrow on skill acquisition and but we believe if you can take the skills that you're acquiring here and you can apply them in other environments and your child will be more successful and this is the testimony we get and so what i want you to hold me accountable for is not necessarily the output results right you will but you can hold me accountable for how much time your child spends on the ball and the techniques they master and then um, you you can anecdotally see what the what that impact is when they are in environments outside of the one that they're in with us, and so that's kind of the language that I want you know that would help me as a parent understand: Am I getting some value for money, right? And then I'll go on to further to say what we do and what I do with the you know the clinic and the coaches hey we're going to give you this application for free and everything we do in the clinic you can do at home it measures it you're part of a team you're going to see how much time i'm going to see and you're going to see how much time you're spending on the ball right and then once you guys reach a certain level in your uh, progression we can start applying this stuff even more and more i don't know if any of that made any sense i'm kind of tired it's late here i did this is a late podcast but i thought i would get it out here for public consumption i really want to get your opinion i will do one more final final summary listen you know now uh, skill acquisition does not make you learn unlearn something that you know it doesn't make you dumber right Skill acquisition in isolation or skill acquisition in um, a contextual matter of uh, learning learning uh, methodology, they're not intrinsically better or worse. It can be situational. If you got 10 minutes with your ch ch child in the backyard, you may want them to get some extra touches. In that case, isolated training makes sense. If you got five kids and you got an, an hour and you want it to be fun, engaging, also apply it, you may do a mix of both. Neither one is intrinsically better or worse. They all have their purpose. Individual isolated training, you're going to get a lot more reps. Situational stuff, you're going to get a lot more, um, more application. All of it works together um have seen the results i i do isolated training with my son and sons and they do they do have team training so i can't i'm not gonna take quote unquote all the training all the um credit but i see their um technical ability i see their impact on the game and all this situational stuff that we're talking about improve dramatically faster than than the other kids and a lot of it is due to what they do at home uh, i think i also touched on people are trying to solve a problem that i i just don't see i don't see the highly skillful players who um don't know how to play the game what i see is players who don't have skill who don't know how to play the game and occasionally i see a player who knows how to play the game but doesn't have a skill to execute and my heart goes out for that type of player because i know with the skill they are really 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 excel so um i think i touched on on everything just keep doing what you're doing and 
Uh, I think I touched on everything. Let me just look at my notes. Yeah, but I think I hit everything. And then in terms of development, your child, the, the children are going to come to you not perfect. That's the whole point. So whatever their weakness is, as a coach, trainer, parent, whatever, your job is to identify where they need to work on the most and help them in that area. But it's not a situation where, oh, because they worked on this skill uh, and they have this weakness, that means that what they were doing was irrelevant. No, they just have a developmental opportunity in this particular case in the application of that skill. But you know what? It's a lot harder to apply a skill that you don't have than to apply something you do have. All right. Thank you for listening. This is Neil Crawford, founder of Anytime Soccer Training. Let's get better together.